Okay, let me try that again. <laughs> so this morning I'm going to talk about being cared for and chosen, the least of these. And um, again, this actually is a message that goes along with my Red Letters series because we're going to talk about what Jesus had to say about people who are the least of these, people who are neglected, people that are needy, even among us. So some of you may not know that um, I was actually adopted, partially adopted. My mom was 16 when she got pregnant with me out of wedlock. She was in high school, and she had met my dad, who was a college student on a ferry boat between Bainbridge Island, Washington, and Seattle, Washington, where they were both going to school. She was going to a private girls' school, and he was going to Seattle University. My dad, I think, was 19 or 20, and um, things happened, and she got pregnant with me. And uh, so they got married, shotgun wedding, right? They got married right away, and then my mom had me, and a couple years later had my brother, Greg. And then um, my dad and my mom split up, and my birth dad, who was, he took a job doing logging, felling trees and stuff, and working in the woods six days a week. He'd only come home on Saturday and Sunday and then go back to the woods. My mom had two little babies at home, and she was going crazy. And uh, through some counsel she got, she um, decided when he came home the next time to tell him to, that, it, that she wanted a divorce. And uh, she didn't really want a divorce, she told me later. She just wanted him to respond and say, let me help you. And, uh, but when she said, I want a divorce, he said, okay, and he basically packed up and left. And so my mom had me and my little brother, and she was unmarried, and so in a sense we were fatherless. And then about a year later she met my stepdad, who became my stepdad, Tom Settle. And it's, there's a picture of him there. Ne no, that's her, that's, we'll come back to this one, next picture. There's my dad, Tom Settle, on the left there. And... Um, my mom, and that's my son Noah, who died in a car wreck in, in 2005, I think, or four. And um, so that's my dad and mom. My mom passed away about a year after my son Noah died. She passed away in 2005 or six. I don't remember which. But um, so I know somewhat what it's like to grow up and feel like I don't belong, that I was rejected by my father, who, was, who basically abandoned us. Finally, when I was 35 years old, I found my dad. And uh, I went to see him. Brooke and I went to see him and his wife, which was about his third wife at that time. And um, we had a wonderful reunion. And we discovered that he never wanted to leave and didn't want a divorce. And, and so he thought that he was raised with the idea that if you love something, you let it go. And if it comes back to you, it's yours. And if it doesn't, it never was. How many of you heard that? Yeah, it's very common philosophy. And so he thought the best thing to do was to just say, okay, I'll do what you want, Sally. My mom's name is Sally. And, and so he left. My mother didn't really want him to leave, but she wanted him to change and do something. She was going crazy with two little babies all alone for five days a week. And so she said, oh, I want a divorce, not really meaning that, just wanting change. And he took it literally. How I many you know that sometimes men don't understand women? Right? 
Let's talk about this, Earl. So <laughs> we'll get together and have coffee. <laughs> so anyway, my dad, my my stepdad, Tom, after about um, two years, adopted me and my brother Greg. That's why we're settles and not Dennis's, because my birth dad's name is Jim Dennis. My stepdad's name is Tom Settle. So now you know. So, and then it's interesting, in our family we have more adoption. Brooke's brother John, which is the first picture that Dale put up there. Um, John was adopted at the age of nine, and he had been in 14 foster homes. And his mom had drug and alcohol problems and, and had given away all of her children. She had like three or four children given all away. And she was a mess, and she never, ever, I don't know if she ever got, got, got help, got healed. But John came to my, to Brooke's mom and dad when Brooke was, I think, 10 or 11. She's a couple years older than John. And um, he was a mess. He was, and he was sure he would be rejected again. Move that over a little bit, Dale, the camera. And um, so John pushed every button that he could possibly push, and my, my mother and father-in-law. Now, my father-in-law, Brooke's dad, was a policeman, so he wasn't home a lot either, and her, but her mom was. And John did everything he could to get Patty, Brooke's mom, to reject him. And this was the days where, where Christian people in particular believed that to spare the rod is to spoil the child. So she liberally applied the rod. And so there was a lot of wounding done in John's life too. But also a tremendous amount of prayer went into his life. And today, John is a successful. Um, he, does, he builds cabinets and does home repair and remodeling. And he turned out okay. He's still got some issues, don't we all? So there's another adoption. But the one you may not be recognized or never really thought about is, is Jesus. Did you know that Jesus was adopted by his dad? Jesus, of course, Mary got pregnant, and that was a spiritual, miracle, supernatural act, which we call the virgin birth. And, and then she told Joseph, I'm pregnant, but there was no man involved. And as you can imagine, Joseph thought that can't possibly be. And so he was planning to quietly break the engagement, which is in Jewish culture was almost as severe as a divorce, and just leave. And that's when the angel came to Joseph, we read that in the early part of Matthew, and said, hey, this baby is, is actually from God, and I want you to take Mary, I want you to marry her. Go on with, finish this up, and, and be, a, be the father, be the husband. And so Joseph did. And he adopted Jesus as his son, so Jesus became known as Jesus ben Joseph in their community. Now, their community of Nazareth wasn't real big. It was probably three, about 300 people. Brooke and I had breakfast in Nazareth about 10 years ago when we went to the Holy Land. And uh, we, it was not very big, just a little town, primarily Palestinian Arabs now. But um, can you imagine the, what the community thought about Mary? How many of them do you believe were convinced that she was actually pregnant by the Holy Spirit? No, sorry, right? 
Nobody could accept that. And so Mary and Joseph had to live with that. And Joseph had to live with the fact that people were judging him, as well as Mary was, had to live with the fact that people were constantly judging her. What a horrible thing. That's why she went to see her sister Elizabeth, I mean her cousin Elizabeth, for about three quarters of her pregnancy. And they finally came back before she had Jesus. So I want to talk a little bit about fostering kids and adopting kids this morning. Did you know, you know the difference between adopting and fostering? It's really interesting. If you've got your little worksheet, you can actually fill in some of the blanks here. To foster comes from an old English word, fostrian, which means to feed or nourish, to bring up someone else's child, okay, for however long is needed. So the focus is on nourishing. The focus is on taking care of their needs, right? So that's what fostering means, and it means the same thing today. It's when we take a child into our home, we don't adopt them, but we take care of them, and we work with the government, usually in this situation, and we raise them, meet their needs, and so on, as long as they need that. Some cases, they can go back into their home in a year or two. Other cases, they always will stay with us in our home until they grow up. The word adopt comes from the Latin word adoptare, and that means to choose. It means to choose somebody, okay? And it's the same thing as fostering, except that you're making it binding, you're making it legal, you're making it permanent, okay? So fostering, the emphasis is on the nurturing. Adopting, the emphasis is on the choosing, the belonging. Now I'm curious, how many people in this room are either adopted by one parent or are adopted. Anybody besides me? Okay, one, maybe a couple. How many people have ever have grew up in a home where you had foster kids or adopted kids in your home? Oh, there's a whole bunch of folks, okay. How many besides, uh, okay, that's good. There's, gosh, probably about seven or eight. Good, so I think you, under, you guys have a, have a sense of what, this, what I'm talking about this morning. And, I, and I, Lord, I think you ask that you'd help us all to really catch what you want to say today. So let's talk about adopted for a sec. In the scripture, it's really interesting to notice some of the people that were amazing leaders in Israel that were adopted. A couple of them are Moses. Remember Moses, Pharaoh's daughter, adopted him because there was a, there was a, a law passed that all the Jewish kids had to be aborted all the Jewish babies, because the Pharaoh and his government were threatened by the amount of Jewish slaves that were in their country and afraid they were going to revolt if they kept growing in number. And so they commanded the midwives that delivered the babies to kill all the male babies. And, but Moses' mama had him early, prematurely a little bit. And so she took him and put him in this basket that she waterproofed and put it in the Nile River. And you wonder, where were the crocodiles, right? And, and he floated down. But she, she made sure that Pharaoh's daughter, who went down to have her bath in this pool on the side of the Nile, would see this basket with a baby come floating down. And so she had her, his, Moses' sister Miriam was like seven or eight, 
kind of check on progress, and she went and told, told Mama, yep, Pharaoh's daughter saw that basket come floating down, heard the baby crying, and went and went, oh, baby, and she took Moses home with her. And guess what? Moses didn't get aborted or killed because he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. So she raised Moses as her own son, and then you guys have watched Prince of Egypt, so you know the rest of the story. But isn't that something that, the, that probably the, one of the most revered um, leaders in the, in the nation of Israel was adopted? And then another one you probably wouldn't maybe remember is that Esther was adopted also. How many of you have read the book of Esther, read the story of Esther? Powerful, powerful story. And we, we read at the beginning of it in the first chapter that her mom and dad died. Now, we don't know why or how they died. We do know that this was a time in which Jews were scattered into the countries around them. This was after their nation had been conquered by the nation of the empire of Babylon. And the Babylonians took all, most of the Jewish people, they took them back to Babylon and they settled them in around the Babylonian rivers and the Babylonian country. And, um, and so in this particular case, the mom and the dad died either on the journey or possibly they were persecuted. We don't know what happened to Esther's mom and dad. But her uncle, or actually her cousin, Mordecai, adopted her into his own family. And that's in Esther 2, verse 7. Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. So, so adoption can be a wonderful thing. We used to tell our kids that, you know, we didn't have a choice with getting you, but we can choose the one we want to adopt. And so <laughs> that was kind of a threat that we used when they were little. So, but um, I told you last week that we fostered a child who was a freshman in high school or eighth grade. I'm not sure if she's eighth grade or ninth grade. But her name was Hannah, and I'm going to show you a picture of Hannah in a little bit. But um, the third group of people that are in the Bible that are adopted are... You and me, all of us, we are all adopted by God. Now let that sink in for a minute. Let me read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. It's such a powerful verse. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Now, just close your eyes and think about yourself for a minute. And just, say, just say to yourself, God adopted me and brought me into his own family. Because he wanted to do it. And it gives him great pleasure. Wow. Let that sink in for a moment. You are chosen. I am chosen to be in God's family. How many of you have heard the song by Phillips, Craig, and Gene called I Am a Child of God? I am a child of God. It's true. Have you ever thought about this? It's really true. Now, let me ask you a question. If your daddy is a king and you're his son or daughter, what does that make you? 
What do you call the son or the daughter of a king? Prince or princess, right? How many of you feel really comfortable saying, I'm a princess or I am a prince? We don't, do we? What is it that makes us want to feel less than and unworthy? You ever thought about that? What is it that makes me feel less than? Is it God? No, it says he wanted to adopt us and that it gave him great pleasure. So where is that message coming from? The enemy? Maybe the way we were raised? If you have somebody treat you like you're worthless over and over and over and over and over in your life, people speak mean things to you over and over and over and over, are you going to think you're really something? Are you going to start to doubt yourself and start to think, maybe I'm just not worthy of being loved? You know, that is really the case for many of us. I was raised in a home where there was a lot of bickering and fighting. My dad would say things to me like, you'd lose your head if it wasn't connected to your body. And he'd say a lot of worse things, too. It was just the way it was. I was raised in the 60s, and I don't know if that was, was worse then or not, but I know that today there are lots and lots of people that are dealing with verbal and emotional abuse. When that has been our experience, it's hard to believe that we have value and when God says, I love you, I chose you, I adopted you because I wanted to, because I like you. It's like pouring water over hard ground. It doesn't sink in very well, does it? But you know what? The more you pour water on hard ground, what happens eventually? Yeah, eventually the ground softens. And so some of us need to hear it more and more. We need to declare it over ourselves. We need to say, I am a child of God to ourselves. Is that verse still up there, Ephesians? Why don't we just read this together out loud? Can we do that? Let's read this together out loud. Okay, let's go. God decided in advance to adopt me into his own family by bringing me to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Wow. You know, if, 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 if what I'm talking about is really ringing inside with who you are and your experience, I encourage you to take this verse home. Write this one on and put it on your fridge. Put it somewhere where you read it to yourself and pray that it sinks in because God wants to heal you from the impact of what others have done to wound you and others that have been the tool of the enemy, as Bob mentioned, the enemy. The enemy wants us to hate ourselves. He wants us to be full of shame and regret and not to respond to God's grace. Let's look at just a few other verses that declare this that you can take home with you. 1 John 3, 1, I love. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called, what does it say? Children of God. I am a child of God. I love that song. Okay, the next verse is Romans eight fifteen. 
You received, let's read this aloud. You received God's Spirit, there it is, when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba, Father. Abba is the Hebrew equivalent of saying Daddy. We can call our God Abba, Daddy. Romans 8.23, let's, let's say this together too. We wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as His adopted children, including the new bodies He has promised us. Now that's something I'm looking forward to. So the question I have for you is the next slide. Who's your daddy? I want to hear it again. Who's your daddy? You, can you say that with conviction? If you can't, that's something to work on. And to ask yourself, ask the Lord, Lord, why can't I? What, do I? what needs to change? What do I need to change in my thinking? What needs to change? Do I need healing, Lord? Okay, now I have a picture of Hannah. There's Hannah that we took in as a foster child when she was 10 or 11. And... Uh, now we were able to go to her wedding this summer. And isn't she a beautiful bride? And she is a woman of faith. We love it. We had such a great time visiting with her and her husband who loves the Lord too. And uh, we're so proud of them. And she went on after she left our house. She lived with her aunt for a little bit. And then she went into two other foster homes. And, and she, the, both of them were positive experiences with Christian families that made a huge impact in Hannah's life. And Hannah has thanked us and said that we had a huge impact on her life. And she actually became, she is now a spokesperson for the National Foster Parent Association. So we're so proud of Hannah. We stay in touch on Facebook. So how aware are you this morning of the foster kids and the families that are in our midst, in our own community? How many of you know a foster child in our community? Anybody? Good? A couple? A few? Okay. How many of you know a family that has foster kids in our community? Anybody? Good. Some of you. Okay. Did you know that in Nebraska there's approximately 3,545 children in foster care? That's a lot of kids. 3,545 foster kids. Many of these kids have experienced abuse, neglect, or other family challenges and need a safe, loving home. KVC Nebraska recruitment coordinators can recruit, train, and support foster families who can care for children until they are either safely home or another permanency plan can be determined. So on your table or near you on one of the chairs are two handouts that I gave you. One is Fostering in Nebraska. And the other is, who can be a foster parent? I really firmly believe that if anybody would make a great foster family, it would be a Christian family. Now, I'm not telling you this morning that you need to go out and adopt a foster kid or take on a foster kid, but I, I would ask you to pray and say, Lord, is this a ministry that you want me to, to pray about and consider? Brooke and I have considered it a number of times. We had Hannah with us, which was a great experience. It was difficult at times. It was a powerful experience. And then we actually had two foreign exchange students. This is almost a sense of fostering because 
The second one we had, Colin, who's from China, is still like our son. And he's in college in Pittsburgh right now. He's working on a doctoral degree. He was with us in 2011 for his senior year. And he just became like a son to us. It was such an amazing... And he's very dear. We talk on the phone all the time, celebrate birthdays. and He comes out and visits once in a while. So, all right. So I want to talk about um, God's heart for orphans for a second. And then we're going to have a little fun. Just a, a few scriptures real fast. Just so you know what God thinks about orphans, kids that are left alone. And it's interesting that this last week, Kelly met a young man that was sitting on the side of the road. And uh, he stopped and said, are you okay? And he said, my, my family moved away. And they said they would come back and get me. And they didn't. They left me behind. How old was he, did you say? About 17 most of us, that's just too much to comprehend that someone would do that to their own flesh and blood, a child. But it happens, and it happens in a lot of different ways. So tragic. So, The Lord says in Deuteronomy 10 that he, he ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. In Exodus 22, he says, you must, you must not exploit a widow or an orphan. In Deuteronomy 14, he says, bring the tithe into the, every third year, bring the tithe in and give it to the Levites or the priests who don't get land among you, as well as the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows in your town so that they can eat and be satisfied. In other words, the Lord's saying, make sure that financially that you're blessing those that are in need around you, that are among you. In Deuteronomy 26, he says, um, I'm going to check on you to make sure that's what you actually did. So, I'm going to go down a little bit. Deuteronomy 27, 19. Cursed is anyone who denies justice to foreigners, orphans, or widows. And then Job's own personal testimony. He said, from childhood, I've cared for orphans like a father. All my life, I've cared for widows. 
then in the New Testament, James 1.27, which we read last week, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So do we need to have a heart to care for those that are among us that are widows, orphans, those that are distressed? We do. We need to be among anybody in our community, those who are caring and compassionate for folks that are in need. Does this mean we let people walk all over us and abuse their privilege? No, it doesn't. Can you do it in a wise way? You can. We can still be generous and compassionate without having to be doormats for people. So, all right, I want to. I need. I need. Uh, I need um, two volunteers for a little skit I want to do, and I'm going to hand you some different props as we do this. So I want to see if Jay would help me. Jay is a really helpful guy. Would you help me, Jay? Okay. And Bob, would you come up and help me, please? Bob? Bob Raleigh? Good. You guys haven't met the Brawleys. They're an awesome family. And uh, Okay. So, Jay, you've got a good sense of humor, so I'm going to let you be the goat. And Bob, you, you put this on your chest, kind of hold it up. And then I'm going to lay down a few items here. Yeah, Dale, can you help us with the camera? We can kind of catch everything here. Okay. Um, I'm going to read the passage of Scripture, and these guys are going to act it out spontaneously. And uh, on the table are all the things that they need. And uh, I think it'll be fun. Okay? It'll be good. I hope this kind of drives home what Jesus is saying to us. Now we're at the red letters part, okay? Matthew 25, 31 through 46. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him. Then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered. All the nations will be gathered in his presence. And he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats on his left. You guys need to get that squared away. Okay. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. Actually, I'll give you a hat. <laughs> All right. When I was in prison, you visited me. <laughs> then those ones, the righteous ones, will say, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry? And feed you. Or thirsty. 
and give you something to drink. Or a stranger and show you hospitality. Or naked and give you clothing. Thank you. When did we ever see you sick? Forgot about that one. Band-Aid. Thank you. Or in prison and visit you. <laughs> and the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Thank you for being such a good sport. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. Supposed to take the take it away from me. I gotta hold it like this. Okay. I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. <laughs> I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And then they will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous will go into eternal life. All right, let's give him a hand. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thank you, Jay. Good sport. Jay, hey, Jay. You get the muffin. So, so this is fun, and... We think about it in a theoretic level, but the question is, is that each one of us does get to rub shoulders with the least of these in our lives on a regular basis, don't we? We meet people on the street, we meet people homeless, people hitchhiking, people that are hungry. Some of us meet them more than others. We see them. We see people we know that are struggling. We see people in cars that barely run. We see people, we hear about people that can't pay their utility bills, or people that are destitute or sick. Um, I know we met a lady who is blind because of diabetes and lives in a mobile home and can't do anything except stay at home. She is, a lady comes in and helps clean her house for her, but she's got 95%. All she can do is see a little bit of light, just a little bit. So we were able to help her the other day a little bit. But the question is, are you a sheep in the way you respond to the people that are needy in your life, or are you a goat by hardening your heart, closing your heart off? 
and not helping them. So I want to close by giving you ten things. And if you have your handout sheet, um, worksheet, these are ten ways that we can help kids that have foster, that are that are needy, help children in foster care. So you don't have to become a foster parent to help children in, in foster care. And uh, so today, instead, of, I'm, I mean, I'm talking about all the least of these, but I want to focus on kids that are in foster care for a minute. So, ten quick ways that we can help children in foster care. And I encourage you, if you have a pencil or pen, to check off on your list the one that you think you could do or two or three you could do. First is to become a court-appointed special advocate, um, which is a called a CASA. How many of you have heard of, what a, heard of a CASA term, the term of CASA? It's a, it's a person that basically is an advocate for children that are in the foster care system. They interview people. They give reports to the court and stuff. Brooke did it for about 17 years, and it's a very powerful thing to do. It's frustrating but very fulfilling, too. And I'm not sure how Nebraska's CASA system is different than Oregon and Washington, where we work with it, but um, you could, she can put you in touch with that if you're interested in doing that, and there may be some of us that are. But that's kind of a tough one. You have to kind of have the right, you have to be the right kind of person for that. Secondly, to mentor a child in foster care. How many of you have signed up to be a teammate mentor for Tirza's Teammates Program? Anybody besides me? Anybody? We've got all the business cards out there in our foyer. These are where kids in our high school and junior high just need someone to meet with them once a week, two or three times a month, and just talk to them, ask how they're doing, maybe help them with their homework a little bit. Really, we don't do much of that. We mainly play games, visit, and talk. These are kids that are at risk in our own school system. Kids that the uh, social workers say, this kid really needs a mentor. Maybe they don't have both parents at home. Maybe their family's divorced and split up. And maybe there's been domestic situations and they're just really struggling. We, in one situation in Oregon, Brooke was mentoring a little a girl that was like a sixth grader and she didn't have glasses and couldn't see. And her, and her foster parents didn't care or her mother didn't care. And so Brooke helped her get help and get glasses so she could do her homework. So mentoring a child in foster care doesn't cost anything. It takes an hour, a week, maybe two or three weeks out of a, a month. And it's just during the school year, and you have to do it on the school premises for uh, safety's sake. If you're interested in being a teammate's mentor, talk to me, because I really enjoy doing it. It's a lot of fun, and I've been with my my young man for a couple of years now. He's a great, great young man. A third way is to provide a bicycle for a foster child. Next week, we're going to have Melissa Mesagatis, who used to go to our church here, but she lives in Ogallala, I think, now. She's a good friend of the Millers and Sarah, Chris, and some of others. You may remember Melissa. She's going to talk to us briefly next week a little bit about some opportunities. She's a social worker and also was just recently appointed to the Panhandle Public Health Board. She's a really awesome lady, and uh, she's going to come and share with us a little bit about opportunities. So providing a bicycle, something that anybody could do, whether it's new or used, to become a respite care provider. What is respite care? That's when a foster family has an incident, or they're burned out, or something happens, and they need a break for a weekend. And a respite care provider signs up and gets training for this, and you just say, yeah, we'll cover the kids for two days or three days. 
and give the foster family a break. When they need to get away, maybe it's their anniversary, they need to get away for a few days. And they can't do it because the foster child needs to be constantly supervised. If you have the ability to bring a foster child in your home for two or three days, then you could be a respite care provider. Number five, donate supplies to foster care organizations. And next week, Melissa will tell us about some of those. But that's a great way to do it. They have backpack programs where they give those kids things that a lot of families don't provide. Or the child doesn't have a, or they maybe have a one, their mother is the only person in the family and she's working a full-time job and has got three or four other brothers and sisters and she can't afford the school supplies. So that's a way that you can help. Number six, support a, a foster family in practical ways. If you know a foster family, to come alongside them and just be a blessing to them. To uh, see when they have needs. Maybe they need help mowing their lawn or need the lawnmower fixed or something like that. Just practical things you can do. Just recognize that when you meet a foster family that's fostering kids, that it's not easy. And most foster families don't have a lot of money or a lot of extra money. And if, you, if you're part of one or known one, you'll know that. And so keep our eyes open and be, be listening and be watching. Number eight, donate a laptop to a college-bound foster youth. Find out from our high school which kids are graduating that are foster kids or, or adopted kids and don't have some advantages and maybe you could bless them with something like a laptop or, or some other thing. Number nine, do a Thanksgiving or Christmas box or maybe just even movie tickets for either the parents or the kids or take the kids to a movie. And then the last way is to pray. To pray for those that you know are foster kids or foster families. So we have a picture up here, the next one of, um, this is a, an Assembly God chaplain named Jason Giesemann and his family, and they have run an organization called Hope Fostered, and uh, I think, I'm not sure how many of their kids are foster kids, I think at least one or two, and uh, I think the little guy in the chair just got approved by the judge, and that's the judge back on the right hand behind there. And so Jason, we, we ran into him at our, at our district council a couple weeks ago, and uh, has a wonder, they have a wonderful ministry. Of course, they're in the Lincoln area, so there's a lot more need and a lot more people. But if we have needs and have questions, he would be glad to come and talk to us too. So last thing is on your table are two articles. I encourage you to take those home. There's a couple on some of the other chairs. They explain again what is fostering in Nebraska and do who qualifies to be a foster parent. So take a look at that and pray about that. So as I close this morning, when you think about the least of these in your life, everybody think about somebody you have met that is struggling, whether they're an adult or a child, whether they're a widow or a divorced person who is alone, whether they're a parent of a foster child or an adopted child, whether they're someone dealing with sickness and illness, whether they're elderly. We have a number of people in, the, in our nursing homes here. And just ask the question, when, when, when I stand before Jesus, like these two guys did, is Jesus going to say thank you for being compassionate? Thank you for being generous? Or is, is he going to say, how come you didn't help? How come you were only focused on you and your own family and not thinking about the people around you. I placed those people around you so that you could be a blessing to them. 
So I want to close in prayer. And um, I'm not speaking to anyone in person, in particular at all. I'm just saying, God, I believe, is speaking to us as a congregation, reminding us to open our hearts and to be aware of those around us and to be ready to care and to share the things God has given to us. So, Father, thank you for this morning and for your word. Thank you for the red letters and the things that Jesus said. Jesus oftentimes said things that are hard for us to swallow and hard for us to, to navigate. But that doesn't mean we can dismiss them. But Lord, we ask that you would help us to think about this day that we will stand before you and that you will judge us not based on our sins in this situation, but based on our compassion and love for those around us that needed us, needed us to be Jesus with skin on. Lord, we ask that you'd show us as a congregation, both on a, on a large group level and on an individual level, how we can be a light for you in our community. And Lord, when we come across people with needs, help us not to rationalize and minimalize and say, well, somebody else will help them. Or they just need to pull themselves out by their bootstraps. Maybe they don't have boots. Lord, help us to not shut up our hearts of compassion, but to be, let Calvary be known and the people of Calvary be known as generous, compassionate people who love their community and lights for you, Lord. We want to be lights for you in our community. We just thank you this morning for your word and ask that you bless us as we go. Father, if there's any this morning here that when, we, when I talked about feeling unworthy, feeling less than, Father, if there's anyone, I just ask for your healing touch. Now, Lord, I pray that um, as Maria and maybe another person would stay in, up at the altar and just be ready to pray for someone, that if there's someone that needs prayer for a healed heart, for a wounded heart to be healed, that they would not run out of the room, but they would come up and be prayed for. We just thank you now for your word and for this time. We love you, God, and we give you the rest of our day. In Jesus' name, amen.